now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Artificial intelligence. Simpson, man, I just, we're having a, a reunion for a youth group that I, that I led and years ago. So we got Simpson over here. We got Michael up here leading worship. Who else is here that was here when I was a youth pastor? Just raise your hand. Okay, we got a few. We got a few. All right. They're, they're <laughs> Paul Honeycutt. Wow. <laughs> that was back when I was on the ark. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyway, it, it, Michael Wallace was a worship leader when I was a youth pastor here. And, uh, you know, he was 15 years old, just a young punk. And, um, and just the Lord did a work in his life. You know, same thing with Justin Simpson, man. The Lord just, you know, did something that you have to attribute to God, that they turned out to be anything. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it is so fun to be here. Next week, Lacey, my daughter, who is also in my youth group, is going to be leading worship. So it's like, you know, uh, anyway, this is the topic today, artificial intelligence. You ever looked at somebody and go, that's them. They have artificial intelligence. They're really not nearly as smart as uh, they like themselves to be. But I've been intrigued with artificial intelligence le- lately, kind of been playing around with it. And, you know, as I read the Gospels, I saw a lot of instances through the years of people that um, exhibited artificial intelligence, and Jesus had to straighten them out. And so that's kind of how this series was birthed out of that. I was like, you know, well, just if you're not familiar with artificial intelligence, here's kind of how I have found that it's broken down. There's a couple of different, there's functionality and there's capability. Over here in functionality, you've got this narrow AI or artificial intelligence. It's more focused on tasks. When you pull out your phone and you say, hey, Siri, I wanted to see how many I could trigger there, but I didn't. Um, When you pull out your phone and you ask Siri a question, that is this narrow AI. It's doing that. When you use Google Translate, if you've ever used that, that's narrow AI. Um, Spam filtering for your email, that's narrow AI. That's that's a very simplistic form that is just using certain things that has been taught. Um, Then... Some things that are kind of in the works is this general AI. That's a little bit more. It's applied knowledge, um, working with different concepts, things like that. And then you get into this super AI. When you get to that, it is just hypothetical. Right now, it's something they're dreaming up as to how far can artificial intelligence really advance. But when you get over here to capability AI, there's this reactive machine. I didn't have word room for the whole word. But reactive machine, this was that deep blue machine that beat the, the world champion chess player. So it had been given a lot of information that it couldn't remember, but it can respond to what's right in front of it. So that's what machine-generated AI or reactive AI is. But you get into this limited memory, they're starting to develop this artificial intelligence that actually has some level of capability of storing information, kind of like a memory bank, so that it can begin to respond to certain actions that it sees or, or, or that it, that it can, can uh, respond to. This is what self-driving cars are doing right now. It's limited memory. There's certain things that, that the cars learn so that when someone pulls out in front of you, it knows that there's a danger there and it knows to hit the brakes. Some things that you can't even react to, a car can because it has this thing programmed into it and so it's getting to learn more and more. Then there's theory of mind. This is kind of in early stages. It's not really, um, it's conceptual more than anything. But this self-awareness, this is when they could get artificial intelligence to really almost take on human form. And it could start having emotion, respond to emotion. And it is completely hypothetical at this point. But I've gotten really intrigued by it lately. And I've started interacting with some of it 
just to kind of see what it can do and, and kind of have conversations with it. And, uh, but basically, a summarization that AI actually gave me of itself was this. AI is the creation of a smart machine that can learn and make decisions like humans. This was actually AI's own definition of itself. So it's, it's a smart machine that can learn and make decisions like humans. That's what they want it to be able to do. And everybody's up in arms about it, right? I mean, we look at it and we go, man, that's scary that, that, it, that it can take over the world. Well, let me just set your minds at ease. It will not take over the world. As a matter of fact, we learn in Scripture that AI has already been defeated. Believe it? Joshua chapter 8, AI was destroyed. You like that? I saw it in a meme. It wasn't my own original, okay? But this was when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. The very first city they destroyed was Ai. You don't believe me? Joshua chapter 8, verse 28 says, Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. So it will not take over the world. God's already defeated it. And it's kind of really interesting. It's very useful. I mean, as a matter of fact, Tracy and I are taking our parents out west on a vacation later in the year. And so we were going to be going to some national parks, and I knew that it was probably be more than they could handle if they did what Tracy and I have done out there before, some hiking and things. So I just went to ChatGPT, which is one of the AI platforms, and I typed in, I'm taking some 70-something-year-old people out to Bryce National Park. What could we do for the day that would not be too exhilarating? And ChatGPT gave me an entire day schedule starting from breakfast until time to go to bed at 4.30. I'm kidding. It wasn't, it wasn't quite that early. Um, but so I, I came up with this idea. Luke came up with this graphic, and we kind of punched in uh, a prompt. And the prompt was helping us to determine, I'm trying to determine if I'm a righteous person or not, what are some ways that I can tell? So we punched that prompt in just to see what ChatGPT or artificial intelligence would tell us, and basically to summarize what what you saw on the screens that Luke created for us, it says this, artificial intelligence basically says, look at all that I do and consider me righteous. Look at everything that I do and consider me to be a righteous person. Here's a longer version of some of what ChatGPT had for me. It said, remember, self-improvement is a lifelong journey and everyone makes mistakes, to which we would say everyone has sin. Okay, some of you have gotten it. Before the service is over, hope the rest of us will. Um, everyone makes, not mistakes, we all sin and have fallen short of the glory of God. Chad GPT goes on to say, the key is to reflect, learn, and to strive to align your thoughts, your actions, and your values with what you believe is righteous. What you believe to be righteous or what the world around us is telling us, this is how you become a righteous person. This is how you achieve righteousness. And so ChatGPT, like the world, because these AI, this computer is pulling in from all the world of the, uh, of the universe as far as like the, the WW, what am I trying to say? The internet, trying to pull it in from the internet. And, um, and so this is kind of the summary of what artificial intelligence tells us. So when we look in scripture and we see when Jesus came across people who exhibited artificial intelligence, he had such a way with them, didn't he? He had such a way of just pinpointing where they were wrong. And the way that he did it was many times he would use a parable. And so he starts out in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It says, he also told this parable. Now, if you don't know what a parable is, I learned it a long time ago from my dad, who was my Sunday school teacher. I'll never forget it. 
Simplistically speaking, parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a story that Jesus told that we could easily relate to, but it had a higher heavenly meaning and a purpose behind it. Some people would get it and some people wouldn't. So he tells this story. Here's what he says. He, I, he told this parable to some who had trusted in themselves, just like ChatGPT was telling us, that they were righteous. So he has this group of people that he's telling this parable to them or for the sake of the people who trusted in themselves for their own righteousness. Basically, those who are saying, look at me for your standard of righteousness. And here's what righteousness means. It's the quality, it's the state, and it's the characteristic of being in right standing before God. So righteousness would say that I have done whatever it takes for me to stand before God and God to look at me and say, you and I are right with one another. Everything is okay between us. It's a state of righteousness. But what we step into many times, and this is what the artificial intelligence was kind of leading us to, was this idea of self-righteousness. Now, self-righteousness is the quality state and the characteristic of being in right standing before God based upon personal merit. And this is what many of us have been guilty of trying to do our entire lives. It's everything that I can do, 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 and do, and achieve, and accomplish, and it's so that I can be in right standing with God. There are religions built around self-righteousness because it's dependent upon everything you do and all the things you accomplish. And so Jesus goes on about this parable. He said, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, as we were just talking about, that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. This word contempt, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this for two purposes. Number one, there's a group of people out here somewhere that are listening, that are depending upon themselves for righteousness. And in conjunction with that, along with that, there are some of you who are doing that, and as a result, you are looking at other people with contempt. And contempt is defined this way. It's the feeling that others are worthless or beneath consideration. I got me a new teaching tool today, so you're going to get to see my handwriting here. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about this word contempt. can't write and talk at the same time or I would misspell the word, okay? But contempt is basically this. It's me looking down on others. Thank you for laughing. You don't know how long I worked on that graphic. <laughs> I was so, I was like, is this too cheesy? But you'll remember it. It's me looking down on others. It, that's what contempt is. It's when I elevate myself to a place that I look down on you. And Jesus is telling this parable for that purpose. So the purpose of the parable was to put prideful people in their proper place. Say that five times real fast. The purpose of the parable is to put prideful people in their proper place. That's why Jesus told this. And you and I easily fall into this category of prideful 
people. So occasionally, we need to be put in our proper place. And Jesus was so good about it because by default, Christians become very pharisaical. They act like Pharisees in our actions toward other people. We start to say, we have got it all figured out. We know what's right and we know what's wrong. And when you don't live up to our standard of right and wrong, because that's what a Pharisee was doing, they kind of created sometimes their own standard of right and wrong, we can look down on you, we can condemn you, and we can look at you with contempt. So Jesus said, I'm addressing that attitude that rises up in all of us. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, that would be sometimes you and me, and the other would be a tax collector. Now, a tax collector was the worst of the worst. They actually worked for the Roman government, and they were usually a Jew who was employed by the Roman government. And what they would do, Matthew was a tax collector who actually was in Capernaum. He sat along the Roman highway, the Roman road, and he would collect taxes from Jews. And the way they made their living was sometimes they would charge a little extra to pad their pockets. They were a perfect politician. They would charge a little extra so they could pad their pockets. And as a result, Jews despised the tax collector. They were called, sometimes they would be tax collectors or they would be called publicans and sinners. They were despised. They were looked down upon. And so two men, a Pharisee who had been the religious guy, they were religious elite, they were the educated They were the smart ones. If you needed to know something about the Bible, this was the person you would go to because they knew the Old Testament through and through. They were so intelligent. And what happens is their knowledge had puffed them up to a place of very high pride and self-righteousness. Then on the other hand, you have the other end of the spectrum, you have a tax collector. So Jesus goes on and he says, the Pharisee, the religious guy, he's standing by himself, prayed like this or prayed thus, God I thank you that I am not like other men. God, I thank you that I'm not an extortioner. I thank you that I am not unjust. I thank you so much that I am not an adulterer and I am not even like this tax collector. I am not even like this and you fill in the blank with the the person you think is the worst sinner, the person farthest from God that you despise, you thank God right now, this is what he was doing, you would thank God in your heart that you were not like them. So this Pharisee had this prayer, and his prayer shows up with a little bit of what we would call contempt in his heart, right? Because he's looking down at the tax collector. He said, I thank you that I'm not, and he may have been looking around and and knew this one guy over here, he was kind of known as an extortioner. This guy over here was known as an adulterer. And he might've just been kind of scanning the temple court right there while he was praying. And God, I thank you most of all that I am not like this tax collector. And he starts naming all these things and he's looking at others with contempt because he's looking down on them. And he starts to list off his moral practices. And man, he starts to think of how great he is morally. In in, in comparison to people around me, God, I am so thankful that I am just so great. I am so thankful that I am not like the rest of them. And then he goes on. He says, and I fast twice a week. He starts to list his religious practices. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything that I get. God, you are lucky to have me on your team. God, you are so blessed to have me, this Pharisee, standing here, and you get to hear my words. 
You get to hear me talk to you, God. And there was so much pride. God, I could be like this tax collector over here. I could be like this extortioner. I could be like this adulterer. I could be like all these wicked people in the world. But God, look at me. I'm set apart and I'm full of knowledge and I can tell people how dumb they are. And that was the religious guy. That was him praying this prayer. He was basically saying, God, look how good I am and look at all, look at all that I have done. I mean, I, he, was, he was blowing himself up so big to be something for people to admire. And he's praying this in the temple court out loud for others to hear. But the tax collector, standing far off, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. No elaborate prayer. He couldn't even lift his eyes up but, but because to lift his eyes up would be meaning that he was making eye contact with God and he could not make eye contact with God. So humbly he's praying and he's beating his chest and thinking, God, I am such a wicked person at heart. There's nothing in me that deserves to even be in your presence. So please, God, do one thing for me. Be merciful to me because I am a sinner. I'm the worst of the worst. No one around here is as bad as I am. God, I am terrible. I am a sinner and I'm begging for your mercy. Both of these men were in the same place. They were saying prayers and they were both standing in the temple. Both outwardly, they looked the same. Inwardly, their hearts were vastly different. One was full of pride. One was full of arrogance. One was full of self-righteousness. And the other one was full of humility. The other one was full of sorrow and grief and begging God for mercy. So Jesus contrasts these two men in front of this crowd, some of whom in the crowd were looking at others with contempt and elevating themselves to a higher plane. So Jesus said this, he says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, the sinner, the publican, the one you despise, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. He was pardoned through his prayer. He was justified. He had right standing before God, not because of what he had done, but because the posture of his heart and his prayer before a holy God. And Jesus summarizes it, and he says this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. You lift yourself up, God's gonna bring you down. You will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself, he is the one who will be exalted. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that pride and self-exaltation are not honorable attributes of someone searching for righteousness. It's not it. So if you think about it, what we tend to do and what our culture tends to have us do is put us at the very top. I want everyone to look at me. I want people to look how great I am, look at all of my accomplishments, look at how lucky I am, look at me, look at me, look at me. I am so glad that I stand at the top of my own pyramid. And then what we tend to do is we look down on others. We put others in a place below us. We exalt ourselves, we lift ourselves up and we look down with contempt on other people. And it's so easy for us to do this and we do it without even knowing it. 
And we can see this in others and it's hard to see in ourselves, but we look at others. And when we do that, what we are actually doing is we're putting God at the bottom. Because Jesus even said, if you can't love your brother who you have seen, how can you ever claim to love God whom you've not seen? If you can't exalt and build up a brother, if you can't lift up somebody who is in a place of need, a place that, that, that they just need a helping hand, if you can't look at somebody like that, then you have not put God in his proper place in your life. But when we exalt and put God first, when we put God at the very top, God, everything that I do, I want to exalt you. Just like Michael let us in right there. We exalt you, oh God. We lift you up. We put you in the highest place. And when we do that, you know who's gonna be next? Others. We're going to put others in their rightful place in our lives. We're going to esteem the needs of others before ourselves, what Paul talked about for us. And then we need to put ourselves at the bottom. This is not what our culture teaches. Our culture teaches just the opposite of that. Our culture teaches you take care of you. You take care of you. You tend to you. You exalt you. Make sure you're okay. And when, when what God, what Jesus is teaching in this parable, he's saying, hey, you put God up here and you put others above you. And then when you put yourself at the bottom, God will exalt you to a right place with him. God will lift you up. God will exalt you. You've got to humble yourself so that God can lift you up. Because when you lift yourself up, it just doesn't look good. It just does. It looks a lot like self-righteousness. So the bottom line today is this. Justification begins with humility. Justification, your only way to stand right before God is to first humble yourself before God and before others. Maybe you're here today and you're like that tax collector. Maybe instead of fasting twice a week, you get drunk twice a week. Maybe rather than tithing, like the Pharisee said, I tithe of all that I get. Maybe rather than tithing, you're spending your money on frivolous things. Maybe you've got some addictions that are causing you to spend some money where you shouldn't be spending money. You're, you're, you're just a wasteful spender. Maybe you're an extortioner. Maybe you're unjust. Maybe you're an adulterer. You know what you need to do? Humble yourself before God. But I would tend to think that there's a lot of us in this room that have become like the prideful Pharisee. That we are here today and we are self-promoting. We wanna put ourselves at the top. We want everybody to look at us. And occasionally we'll throw God's name up here beside us just so they'll look at us even more. We gotta be careful. We gotta be careful. That is a form of taking God's name in vain when we use God to help self-exalt. And so we've got to, if we're like that prideful Pharisee, comparing ourselves, lifting up ourselves, look at my accomplishments, look at how great I am, look at all that I've done morally, look at all I've done spiritually, you need to be humbled as well. We need to be reminded that we are really like that tax collector. Our hearts are wicked and we are far from God. And we need to exalt God to his place that he needs to be in our life, a place of prominence, and humble ourselves before him. And then we can realize what Jesus' definition of true righteousness is. It's not in what you've done. 
It's who you put your faith in. It's who you've trusted your life to. And if you've ever trusted your life to Jesus Christ, you are in right standing before God. You have what we call imputed righteousness, meaning that Jesus Christ lived a sinful life here on this earth, never sinned, died on the cross for your sins, rose again on the third day. And when you say, I am a sinner, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed upon you, meaning the righteousness of Jesus is covering you. So that when God sees you, he does look at you and he says, we are right with one another because you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I can now be merciful to you, a sinner. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today would be a great day to do that. And I just encourage you, humble yourself here at this altar today. Meet us back here in the guest VIP room. We would love to talk to you more about that. We would love to hear you pray your prayer of salvation. But maybe you're here today and you've just, you've been doing this a long time and you have become a Pharisee who has started looking to other people or looking at other people with contempt. God, I thank you that I'm not like them. Look at how great I am. And you have exalted yourself to the top of the pyramid. And today you need to humble yourself before God. So this is for all of us, right? All of us need it. So let's stand together. Father, we're so thankful today for the righteousness of Jesus Christ that can be imputed upon us. God, we are so thankful today that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we could be made righteous in right standing before you. So God, today, if there are some here today that never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, it's my prayer today that they would take that step of faith. God, for those of us who are guilty of acting like a Pharisee, would you humble us? God, would you change our hearts so that rather than looking down on the tax collector, we might go over and put our arm around them and pray with them and be humbled alongside. So thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do in Jesus' name, amen.